great to be back. Last week we were in Phoenix at a worship conference and we were really touched by God there. Uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about it was that um, the attendees, some of them brought their children with them into the worship services. And uh, yes, the music was pretty loud. Um, but wisely, the parents had earmuffs over the kids' ears. Um, and I love that about our family worship Sundays as well. In fact, it's one of my favorite times of our church family life. When the kids join us, it reminds me of when I was a kid and the things that I used to say and I used to do. And I remember the kid games that we used to play. Do you remember any of those? Um, did you have any favorite playground games like Duck Duck Goose or Musical Chairs or Red Light Green Light? I don't know, maybe you guys don't even play those games anymore. Um, we used to play a game when it, on rainy days called Heads Up, Seven Up. Anybody remember that? Oh, yeah, okay, some people do. Well, one of my favorite games was a game called Simon Says. Anybody remember Simon Says? Okay. The first question that comes to my mind is, who was Simon? And why do we have to do what he says? Well, with a quick Google search, uh, it turned up a couple of different facts. Now, this is actually probably based on a very old game, uh, originally called Cicero Says. Cicero Says. Uh, named after a re revered Roman state statesman, Mar Marcus Tullius Cicero, who commanded great respect. Uh, later, the name changed to Simon after a French nobleman, who commanded so much authority that he had King Henry III imprisoned. If you can have a king imprisoned, then you pretty much can get people to do whatever you want them to do. So I thought we would have a little fun this morning and play a quick game of Simon Says. That is, we all will play Simon Says, all right? Does that sound okay? So let's all stand up. Oh, you are an idiot. <laughs> no, no. It's okay. It's all right. The game has not started yet. You got it. Okay, Simon says stand up. Okay, and make you get a little bit of room so you don't, like, hit each other. Okay. Simon says make yourself a little room so you don't get... You don't get injured. All right, here we go. Ready? Game time. Let me see if I can do this. <laughs> Simon says, put your hands on your head. Simon says, put your hands on your ears. Simon says, put your hands on your shoulders. Simon says, put your hands on your knees. Oh, really? Uh, put your hands on your shoulders. Oh, sorry. If you put your hands on your shoulders, sit down. <laughs> Simon says, um, stand up, straight. Simon says, march in place. Simon says, put your right hand out. Put your left hand out. Simon says, put your right hand down. Simon says, who, who has their left hand up? <laughs> 
Okay, keep marching. Simon says keep marching. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Simon says stop. Simon says stand on one leg. Simon says <laughs> put your leg down. <laughs> I can't do it that long. <laughs> uh, Simon says hop up and down. Stop. <laughs> Simon says stop. Uh, okay, go ahead and sit down. <laughs> oh, Simon says go ahead and sit down. <laughs> wow. How was that? Did that bring up any fond memories? Uh, maybe it brought up some anxious memories. <laughs> a little stressful, a little stress from your... Uh, your past. Well, following Simon or Sistro or Pastor Jerry is one thing. But what about following Jesus? Remember those little wristband things that were, that were popular a few years ago? It had WWJD written on it. What would Jesus do? Well, here we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Uh, Jesus is in the upper room. Uh, with his friends, his disciples, having their last meal together. And what is he really wanting to do here, right? He knows that he's going to go to the cross. And this is his last opportunity to talk to the troops, to give them their best, to give them a good word, to send them off with some encouragement. And what does he do? He plays a game of Jesus says with them. Like the game of Simon Says, Jesus asks. No, he commands. He commands that they follow his example, to follow his lead, to pay the ultimate price, to love as he loves. Jesus says, love as I love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's down one's life for one's friends. What is he asking exactly? He states it clearly. There is no greater love than this, than to lay down your life for your friends. Lay down your life? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Really? That's crazy talk. I might lay down my life for my family. I might take one I might take a hit for my wife or my kids, even my parents or my siblings, but lay down my life for my friends. Have you met my friends? <laughs> but know very clearly, Jesus is referring to his own sacrifice, yes? To laying down his own life for his friends. Yes, the friends that will betray him the friends that will deny him, the friends that will run away and hide at the first sign of trouble. Friends like you and friends like me. Jesus is willing, down, willing to lay down his life. Are you willing to do likewise? Now, how does this play out in real life? Um, in the fourth century, a mere 300 plus years after Resurrection Sunday, Stories of Christian compassion and sacrifice began to be recorded. 
when a plague hit the Roman Palestinian town of Caesarea Maritima. A few of us got to visit that place a few months ago. While much of the population was fleeing for the hills to get away from the city. No quarantines back in the day. One group of people was staying in the cities to help the ill and the dying. Church historian Eusebius, who was also the Archbishop of Caesarea Maritima, recorded this. All day long, some of them, the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial. Countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. And also because of their compassion, the Christians, Sister Eusebius goes on to say, the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips, they, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them that they alone were pious and truly reverent of God. Now, you know, church history records both the good and the bad about Christians, right? And there's a lot of bad in, in church history, unfortunately. You know, we, we have a bad mark against us. But there are times, there are moments when the, the commands of Christ shone through. It was the Christians who had the compassion and were willing to put themselves at risk in order to care for both believers and non-believers alike during this plague, this epidemic. And it brought attention to them and to their faith. Unless we think that this is an ancient phenomenon, perhaps you've heard of the story of Dr. Li Wenlian, the doctor who was one of the first to report the novel coronavirus in Wuhan, China. He was arrested at first for being a whistleblower. But earlier, earlier this month, uh, after he himself passed away from the virus, he was lauded as a hero by many in China and around the world. In the early days after his death, there began to be rumors about Dr. Li being a Christian and having penned this beautiful poem before his death, even quoting scripture. These rumors actually turned out to probably be false. An exaggeration from the online Christian community. There is actually no evidence that Dr. Lee ever attended church in Wuhan or was even baptized. He may have been part of an online chat room that was run by Christians, but that's probably as close as he came. But there's no evidence that he made a decision before his death. Nevertheless, in this age and time of deadly pandemics, we do well to follow Dr. Lee's example and not be victims of fear or cover-up, but to stand firm and do all that we can to protect ourselves and our loved ones, and also be willing to, take, to make the sacrifices needed to protect all peoples in times of danger. That's what Jesus would have done. Jesus says, love as I loved. But Jesus also says, be my friend. Be my friend. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. What does it mean to be a, a friend of Jesus? Jesus very clearly says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Obedience is a strong mark of friendship. And I must say, I have often failed in this regard. And what does he command? That we love one another. Why is that so hard? Why is that so difficult for us? Well, because sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I'm lazy. Sometimes the other person is just hard to love. Or I think they're wrong, or I'm too proud, or whatever. You fill in the blank. But Jesus says that we are called, we are no longer called servants or slaves because servants aren't clued into the master's business. A master servant relationship is transactional. It is based on a mutually agreed upon set of conditions. You do what I tell you, I feed you, or I pay you, or I don't beat you or whip you. The world works on transactional relationships. Wherever you work, you get paid because you do the things you have agreed upon doing. As long as you keep your end of the bargain, I'll keep mine. The minute you move off that mark, well, watch out. It's a contract. You sign on the dotted line. A friendship's a different kind of relationship, right? It's also somewhat transactional. I'm sure we've all experienced a one-way friendship where all you do is give and give and give and really don't get anything back in return. I would say those are the kinds of friendships we want to be careful of. But friendship with Jesus is much different. It's so much more. Yeah, Jesus has his commands, do what he tells us. But look what he says in verse 15. He says, everything that I learned from my father, I've passed on to you. I've made it known to you. I've given it to you. Jesus is completely transparent with his disciples and with us. Whatever he sees the father's doing, that's what he does. John 5, 19, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And that's how he brings the disciples and us into everything that the Father is doing. The friendship with Jesus is not just transactional. It's transformational. It changes us. It, it, it transforms us from the inside out. We become a new creation. We see life and live life differently because we've, we've come into a different kind of relationship with the Son of God, the King of Kings, the living hope, our living hope. The friendship with Jesus is not only transactional. And not only that, we are closer than servants closer even than friends, we become family. 
like a marriage. Relationship with God is transformational. Our greatest motivation is unconditional love. Not only what we get, but what we can give. Everything the Son receives from the Father, He shares with us because we are partners. We are friends. We are family. We are intimately aware of all that Jesus has learned from the Father. So Jesus says, love as I love. And Jesus says, be my friend. But Jesus also says, live your life purpose. Live it out right now. Do it now. Don't wait. You did not choose me, he said, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command. Love each other. In verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. He tells that to his disciples, and that was true, wasn't it? In the Gospels, Jesus went around preaching and teaching, and as he walked by the seashore and the fishing boats or along the roadside and the tax collection booth, he would call out and say, follow me, follow me. You know, in Jesus' day, disciples chose their teacher. The rabbi that they looked up to and wanted to follow was the one a prospective disciple would choose. Then they would carefully approach the respected rabbi and ask permission to join his school. But Jesus was different. Jesus was a different kind of rabbi. With a word, with a word, these men that, they, that he saw They left their boats, they left their nets, or their tax collection booth, and they followed Jesus. Why? Why would these guys leave their ways of making a living to follow Jesus? Well, of course he's Jesus. (laughs) But also because he had a greater life purpose for them. He had a greater life purpose for them. He had a greater purpose for them to fulfill. He would tell the fishermen, you will now be fishers of men. He told the tax collector, you are now part of the heavenly economy. He told the doctors, you will now heal men's souls. What's he telling you today? Whatever you do, Doctor, teacher, hairdresser, roofing contractor, engineer, executive chef, homemaker. What is your higher calling? In your friendship with Jesus, what is the fruit that you are to go and bear? And will it last? Will it last? Because you know what? We're all called to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And you know what? God has given you everything you need to bear fruit. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
Second Peter 1.3 tells us, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And what is that fruit? What is that fruit? Well, part of it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Galatians 5.22. You know, even, doctor, even though Dr. Lee might not have been a Christian, might not have been the Christian he was rumored to be, there are Christians in Wuhan. They are medical workers. They're fighting against this disease. They are on the front lines putting themselves at risk. They are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, much like the Christians in the 4th century. This week I got an email from our good friend Tina Lee, who was forwarding a report asking for prayer for China and for Chinese Christians who are working against the coronavirus. It asked for prayer for them by name. So here they are. I'm going to read her email to you. Did we have it? Um, no? It's not there. Okay. Uh, urgent intercession requested. Pre please pray in earnest for the following who have rushed to the front line to fight the epidemic. When one is in trouble, help comes from all directions. Help up, up till the current time, the province uh, with the worst epidemic in the, country, in the country is still Hubei. Therefore, the country has rushed additional medical teams from various places to Hubei to carry out rescue work. As Christians, we have a responsibility to pray for all healthcare workers on the front lines of the, of the epidemic and ask God to strengthen them and give them faith so that they may bring health and peace for their fellow citizens. When praying for healthcare workers, please lift up the following nine people in particular up in prayer because they are our family members in Christ. Their names are Yang, okay, so I don't speak Chinese, and even reading the, the anglicized version of it may be a challenge, all right? Yang Chui, I think, for those of you who, uh, from Wuhan, a nurse. Uh, Li Ji, Wuhan, a doctor. Xiang Dan, also a nurse. Jin Hui Yu. Li Yafei. Wang Min. Guan Shan Shan. Uh, Ye Ji Jun. Zhao Shi Zhi. Yes? Uh, Ling Shi, a doctor. Please pray for them. Eight people in isolation. Not a single one appears to be in good uh, condition. Um, Director May of Ophthalmology, Wuhan Central Hospital, who is currently under emergency treatment. He is the leader of Li Wenliang. Central Hospital Thyroid and Breast Surgery uh, Director Jiang um, Suiqing, Suiqing is also under emergency treatment. These are real people. Not only are some of us our countrymen, but our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, we want to and we need to keep praying for them. So let me take a moment right now just to pray for them. Father, um, we have the names and, and the locations of a few people here in China right now who are 
uh, on the front lines uh, fighting um, the coronavirus spread. And we want to pray for them. We want to lift them up. We want to pray that you would continue to give them strength and, and energy and protect them against the, the disease themselves so that they don't succumb to it. And Father, we want to pray for other healthcare workers, not only in China, but around the world, who are working tirelessly to fight against us, to keep this contained so that it doesn't continue to spread. And Lord, we know that some of the, the reports are exaggerated a bit, that uh, there's really not a lot that we should be panicking over, but we're, we're still concerned, and we want to lift them up to you. We want to ask for your mercy and your grace upon their lives. And Father, for those who um, are currently stricken with it and in hospitals and recovering, we pray that they would receive the care that they need and that their bodies would do what they're supposed to do and fight against the disease. And Lord, would you help us to help prevent the spread of it, to be careful to be um, aware of what's happening around us and not to take things for granted, not to take life for granted, but to care and to love one another. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who knows the situation better than any of us and um, who's given us everything that we need in this life to live it out, to live our purposes out. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We, we have everything we need. So just obey. Just do what Jesus says. Live out your life purpose and you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. It's coming. Springtime is coming. Next week is uh, daylight savings time starts. <laughs> the avocado tree that I planted a few years ago and first bore fruit, its first fruit last year, is already starting to sprout. There are so many buds on the tree, I can't even count them. Let's join in with what the Father is doing and, the har and harvest the fruit that Jesus is producing through us and in us. Because Jesus says that if we do, if we do bear fruit, others will take notice. Others will see what's going on. Others will know and then others will follow. Others will be attracted to Jesus. Um, Jesus says that others will follow. Uh, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And I don't think we have. Oh, we do. Let me read it for you. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is the same time as chapter 15. Right? This is just actually the beginning of that. It's earlier. Jesus is repeating himself. And it's not because, you know, it's not important. In fact, you have to pay attention whenever Jesus says something more than once. It means pay attention, guys. Listen to this. It's important. At this time, this would have been a new commandment for these disciples. Something totally different. Something totally new. And different from anything that they're accustomed to, anything that they've experienced up to this point. Jesus was ushering in 
the kingdom of God on earth. And it wasn't just something that we're waiting for after we die. It's something that is available to us here and now. The power of the kingdom of God. People don't understand this new and strange thing. The supernatural love that Christians can and should demonstrate toward one another. It will be a curiosity to them. It will make them scratch their head. It will be a puzzle to them. The key is to follow Jesus. The key is to follow Jesus. Do what Jesus says. Love one another, just as he has loved us. And when we do that, everyone will know that we are his disciples. Not just disciples, not just servants, not even just friends. He calls us sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. So what does that look like? Are we a community that demonstrates this love one another command? Do we as friends, family, partners in the gospel love and prefer one another? Do we defer to one another? Are we willing to make the sacrifices when the rubber meets the road? Do we, do we even know what our purpose here in this church is? Do you know what Harvest Mission statement is? I'm glad the leadership is nodding their heads. Let me say it for you. Our mission statement is to glorify God by loving Christ and those whom Christ loves. To glorify God by loving Christ and those whom Christ loves. Does that sort of resonate with John 15 and John 13? With Jesus' command? Love one another. Love one another. In the presidential broadcast concerning how the U.S. is responding to this health crisis, the Secretary of Health and Human um, Welfare said that it's a matter of if, it's not a matter of if, sorry, it's a matter of when this will happen in the United States. And we must be aware, we must be prepared. Are we, as the body of Christ, prepared? Will we respond as Jesus commanded us, to love one another as he loved us? And will the world take notice? Will they even care? Or will everyone see the outpouring of love and care for one another? Uh, even right now, Darren Chen, one of our church members, his mom is in a hospital in Japan. She has the coronavirus, and she's been tr being treated there. She's doing better, but she still has a, a little ways to go. She's been able to regain a measure of health. But we've been praying for her daily as we receive updates on her condition. And I would encourage all of you to pray for her and, again, continue praying for everyone who's been affected by this virus and for those who are working around the clock to fight against it, believers and non-believers alike. We live in a pandemic situation. People are sick. People are dying. But you know what we're also experiencing? We're also, we also live in a drought situation. 
you know, even though last year we had great rains and this year there were some, experts are telling us that we continue to live in this drought situation and that trees are dying and that some of these forest fires that we've been experiencing are part of that drought. We're in a drought situation. Trees are dying. People are dying. We need water. We also need living water because we're dying of thirst. We're thirsty for love. We're thirsty for friendship. We're thirsty to be connected to the, to the living vine. Jesus says, come. Come and be filled. Come and be filled with living water. Come and be quenched with those living waters. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us so much more than the final speech, if you will, before you went to the cross. Giving us a command that goes well beyond anything that any human being could ever experience. And that is a greater love a greater love for you and a greater love for one another. Father, we are, we are thirsty. We need you. We need your, your living water to fill us. Would you satisfy the thirst of our soul?